Hey, good morning and welcome to Breakthrough Walls. I'm Ken Walls and I'm your host. And today I have a rock star guest on. Christopher Salem is joining us from Connecticut. So um, can't wait to hear this guy's story. So do me a favor and go ahead and share this out. You're going to love this show. So go ahead, share it out, and we'll see you guys in just a minute. And we are back. Let me go ahead and bring Chris on. Chris, welcome to the show. Ken, it's a pleasure to be here. Thank you for having me. It's great to have you on, man. So we just recently met, and um, I don't know much about your story, except for I know you've done a lot of great things, and and I think we're connected to a lot of the same great people. Yes, yes. <laughs> so, yes we are. <laughs> yeah. So, so Chris, you know, I started this, it's been over four years ago now. And, and honestly, I started this, I, I was a little bit stuck in life and I thought, you know what, maybe if I get people to tell me how they got unstuck, it'll help me. <laughs> and, and you know what it has. So, um, I like to start with where you were born and raised. Why don't we start there? Talk about where, where uh, it all started. Let's do that. You. Sure. Well, I'm going to be, it's funny, you know, my birthday is coming up here uh, in a few weeks, uh, July 6th. I was born in 1967, July 6th in, uh, in New Jersey. So I was born in uh, Jersey Shore Medical Center, uh, which was the same hospital as Bruce Springsteen. So wow. I grew up, I, I was born in Neptune, New Jersey, which is near Eatontown, which more people probably recognize that term, Eatontown. I only lived there for about three weeks of my life, uh, first three, three, th first three weeks of my life. And then I moved to the Tampa Bay area as where I spent the, the first pretty much five years of my life before my family came back to Connecticut, where both my parents were from. Wow. Um, and, and how old were you when you went back? I went back to Connecticut when I was between five and six years old. Okay. So you were, were you had, you hadn't even started school yet then. I was, yeah, I was, I was just going into kindergarten. So yeah. I started kindergarten here in Connecticut and, and then did preschool down in Florida. So, and, and I just discovered you're almost exactly one year older than me. I'll be 54 on july 17th so wow yeah, <laughs> yeah. we're very we're very yes well same month and and yeah, now would that yeah. be cancer or or yeah yep yeah still cancer. cancer okay good yeah. my nephew's birthday is july 6th i think so yeah yeah so so you um you you so you grew up in connecticut i mean what was that yeah. like I, you know you you grew up probably doing the same stuff i did riding riding bikes and playing oh, yeah. baseball and I I was a baseball player played you know I played all three sports but baseball was my sport 
I was also uh, an avid, you know, uh, rider on bike. Not well, started with bikes, and then eventually uh, motor. I did motocross up until I was uh, 13, 14 years old. So I used to. My first motorcycle was uh, an XR 75, or and uh, yes, an XR 75. And then I got a CR. So uh, I was uh, kind of a little of a daredevil. Used to jump uh uh you know ra- on ramps over my mother's car she didn't know it at the time but my brother and I wow. used to do stuff like that so yeah I had led a little uh little uh rebellious side to me and at the time but very active like you know you look at kids today and you know they're nowhere near active like they were in our time I mean we were always outside you know all day long until like dinner time you know when, when I would hear my wow. father whistle and that was the cue that I had to come home so <laughs> I, you know, I, I, I think about, I'm friends with, um, Carrie Kasem, Casey Kasem's daughter. And, and and I remember, I mean, uh, you waited, you know, Saturday morning, America's top 40. Now it's like, you just tell your phone to play anything you want at any time. But back then we didn't have that option. Oh, we had that. And I know Kate, well, Casey Case might relate to He's He's Lebanese. I'm part Lebanese. So. (laughs) Oh yeah. 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 It's hilarious, man. So, so, um, so you, I mean, when you were growing up, what was it like in, as far as your family, pretty normal family life then? It was, I mean, just, I mean, I mean, I had a, obviously a mother and father, but yeah. I, I would say, you know, it was a, you know, typical family, but you know, what I do today for a living and helping people from a mindset perspective and, and how that relates to business I would say now looking back, it was it was a codependent family. So and my mother was a wonderful mother. She went out of her way to do everything for me and my brother, but she was a perfectionist. So I learned I learned from her to be everything had to be perfect, that no one can do it better than you. Mm. And but because of the my mother always intervening and you know, I didn't really have a chance to learn. So I, you know, I kind of had to learn the hard way when I became an adult. And my father was always traveling, never around, mostly checked out when he was. And there was just a lot of codependency. So I learned these yeah. passive aggressive behaviors and communication at a young age. And I carried that up throughout my teens and my early adult life throughout my 20s. And, I, and I'm a recovering codependent and a perfectionist. And my codependency behavior and communication at the time was being passive and aggressive so I could be a pleaser and an enabler and saying yes to everything, seeking yeah. your validation. And then I could be aggressive where I placed high expectations onto you and other people. And then I would react to those situations. So I had to learn to transform all that. But overall, it's still typical family did all the sports. My mother took me to all my games and but really didn't have a close relationship with my father. Neither yeah. did my brother. So my dad was usually never around. Was what kind of I'm um, was he a like what kind of profession was he in? He was a he was electrical engineer and worked at GE, but he had started okay. his own company. I remember when I was in the fourth grade, we had a commercial done in my house on an invention my father had discovered wow. at the time, and it was the I remember it was the psychiatrist that played that, but the guy that played the psychiatrist in The Exorcist, if you remember that movie, The Exorcist. <laughs> He was he was the lead lead in the commercial as the dad, and then they had other wow. actors, a mother, and then two kids. So I had some other kid in my bed 
you know, while they did the commercials. So uh, it, it was pretty cool at the time. But Wow. Yeah. Wow. So, so um, you went through school, high school, everything in the same, same school yeah. system? Same school system. Graduated in, from the town that I pretty much grew up as a kid. And then eventually from there, when I graduated, you know, because of all the things I had gone through and, you know, I said, I got to get out of here, you know? So I, I ended up pursuing a, a, a pre-scholarship uh, out to Arizona state. Um, I did not get the scholarship. I didn't make the team, but I fell in love with ASU. Arizona became a sun devil, uh, joined a fraternity and wow. Went from there. So, uh, yeah. So I lived out West for a little bit before kind of coming back through Chicago and then eventually back to Connecticut. <laughs> so that's a, I mean, okay. So I have a daughter that's 16 and I have another daughter that's, um, 11. And yeah. I, I, I'm thinking like my, my 11 year old is like, she wants to be a zoologist and, and she's very specific. She wants to rehabilitate marsupials in Australia, like, and she actually has the zoo picked out. And I'm like, what in the world? Like, you're not moving to Australia at 18 or not, whatever you're, no, yeah, like, yeah. you're staying in this continent. But so, so you, you like, I mean, that's a long ways away for an 18, 19 year old. Yeah, no, I like, went clear across. I didn't know a soul going out there. And, you know, I had, I remember, the first week out there because of the scholarship fell through, I had no place to stay. You know, do I go get an apartment? So I ended up joining a fraternity and that's where I stayed for the first two years of my college life. And, and, wow. uh, but it was, you know, the greatest thing, you know, great thing that happened to me. It taught me to be how to socialize because I was very socially awkward. Mm. And so it, it taught me a lot of things, even though I was still going through a lot of things, wrestling my demons still at the time. It, in hindsight, the, I did learn a lot about how to connect and communicate with people that still to this day that have really been a, a huge benefit to me. So, so when you, um, did you end up, did you end up with a degree? Did you graduate from college? Okay. I ended up graduating. Now don't get me wrong. I was, it was, ASU was the number one party school in the, in the country <laughs> at the time. And still right. probably at some levels is. So I did my share of that, believe me, but I, yeah. I did graduate. I did, you know, I graduated with, uh, you know, uh, B's like an 85 average. I uh, had majored in a, in a, in a degree that was only, only two schools had offered at the time, uh, ASU and Bowling Green. And that was in purchasing materials management. There had not been no other schools that offered a degree in that. I did it because, because I knew I would get a lot of job offers out of college. And sure enough, I did. I had eight when I graduated and they were all pretty much around aerospace since they were looking for this around mechanical engineering and manufacturing. So I ended up taking a job back home in Connecticut at the time, just so I could get on my feet and live at home for a couple of years with my dad. And as a result, that's where I started my career. And then eventually going back out West again uh, from there and got into a entirely different career. So my experience with per, uh, material purchasing materials management was short lived for yeah. about two or three years. And then, Kind of went, I went into sales from there. You said, did you say Bowling Green, like Ohio? Bowling Green University, yeah. There was only two schools at the time offering a degree. That, that's that. right down the street from me. Yeah, I, yeah. I live in Ohio. Wow. Yeah, um, yeah. So, so you, um, 
where did things go from there? I mean, you, you, you said you only did that for a couple of years. Couple of years, yeah. I mean, I had a really tough experience those first three years. I I, I came into an environment that was, you know, highly bureaucratic. Uh, there was a very, you know, a lot of ex-military, and it was just, I mean, you're talking about harassment and bullying and all of the above, all these things that you could go to jail for. All of that was happening at this place. And wow. really. And, uh, Oh God. Yeah. Uh, I, I, and I don't want to throw any company under the bus, but so I'm not going to mention the company, but, but with that being said, that they're, they're completely changed. A lot of that riffraff is long, long gone or dead. They passed on at this point, but there was a lot of stuff going on, legal stuff. And yeah. And so I didn't want to be any part of that environment. I, I said, this is crazy. I mean, I got promoted, believe it or not. My first promotion at this place after somebody had pushed my buttons for a year and I jacked them up against the wall and said, do you ever talk to me that way again? I'm going to punch your lights out. And I remember putting him down and thinking, oh, this is it. I'm done. I'm going to get fired. And uh, They called me down to the office. They told me they heard about what happened. And they said, we really like your, your, your personality and you're tough. We're going to promote you to chief buyer. And I'm going, That's I thought I was getting fired. <laughs> I didn't say this, but I thought I was getting fired and I get promoted. And I said, I knew I had to get out of this insane asylum. I said, what, I got to beat people up to get promoted? I'm it's like, what the heck? Are you working for the mob? What the? Yeah. Oh, it was it was sort of like that. Ken, I'm not kidding you when I'm, when I'm telling you this. This is this is the God. I'm not stretching anything here. This is the oh, God on his that is so funny, man. You're like, I threaten to beat people up and I get promoted. Yeah. yeah you should have punched I, the I guy promoting you in the face. Maybe you could have taken his job or something. I don't know. Uh, so yeah. <laughs> that is so funny. So, so, so you, um, so you get like, so, okay. Where, so where did it end up? You were there, you said a couple of years. Yeah. So I ended up, I ended up leaving, you know, I said, I, you know, my personality, I, I knew I had an outgoing personality. You know, again, I learned a lot of this in college and my fraternity. And I said, you know, and I remember all the suppliers I used to meet with when I was negotiating multi-million dollar contracts for uh, this case for, for the government. And as a result of that, I just realized that, you know, all my suppliers said, you would be great working for us on the outside. But mm -hmm. I didn't want to be in that. I, did, I just didn't want to be in that environment because of the things that I experienced at this place. So I ended up going into uh, into the media business in with uh, and from from a sales perspective. And I moved out to Chicago where my at the time, my fiance or well, what was soon to be my fiance was there. Now, lo and behold, when I went out there, we did, ended up not getting married. It didn't work out, uh, but it was a learning experience because it got me into sales. I, I was learning, you know, in a big city. And at the same time, while things were up and up in my career moving up because I was a go-getter, I was making more money, I was still struggling with my demons. And so I was dealing with some addictive personalities that I had, you know, with drinking, drugs, sex. And I had to deal with that. And that all came to a head in, you know, by the time I reached 30, when my father was diagnosed with cancer and my dad was 56. And my, because again, my dad and I didn't have a really close relationship, but my dad made the attempt in the last two years of his life to get, come together with us. And it, and it was his death that actually changed my life because I think in this, in hindsight, he gave the greatest gift he could ever give me for all those years of neglect. 
in that I, he, it was like he was communicating to me, even though I couldn't hear him when, before he died, the day before he died. But he said, you know, I always loved you and your brother and your mother. I just didn't know how to show it. I was I could wow. only be who I was from what I grew up with. He, his father neglected him. He was just repeating the same patterns from his own limiting beliefs. But in this case, he bottled them all up. And wow. because of that, it manifested itself into cancer. And my father died at a young age. He never got to reap the success that he had. And, he, and he, his company ended up going public a year later. And, you know, my, mother, my stepmother became very, very rich as a result of it. But with that being said, wow. he, you know, it was, it was the turning point for me because I had lived as a codependent, a perfectionist, a victim. I lived by, you know, from excuses. And it was that, that moment I said, I, am, I have to take responsibility for my life. No matter what has happened to me beyond my control, it's still my responsibility. I didn't know how I was going to do it, but that was the turning point for me where I shifted away over time from, from operating as a codependent to being interdependent, shifting away from being uh, uh, from a fixed mindset to, to a growth mindset from mental toughness, being in the moment rather than the past and the future operating from fear. That was the turning point. And to this day, what, as I operate as a business executive coach, both personally and with businesses, I operate from that foundation, from, from mental toughness, a growth mindset, it, it, it resonates in everything I, I, I work with people on communication, leadership, developing uh, winning teams, productivity, efficiency, pro whatever. All of that is part of my coaching and consulting. And that experience was the turning point for me. And so it was a blessing in disguise. And everything that happened before that was a blessing because I wouldn't be able to do what I'm doing now had I not gone through the challenge and the obstacles back then. And even to this day, I have more challenges and obstacles than I've ever had before, except I look at it in, from a different lens. I, I see it as an opportunity, a blessing. I see it happening for me, not to me, like before where I was the victim at that point. And I've been sober for 23 plus years. So I, so that's a good thing. And not only sober here. So sober 23 years, uh, refrain from any drink, drug, or even sexual addiction for more than 23 years. Good for you, man. Congratulations. I'm coming Thank up you. on 20 years. Awesome. I love it. Love Amazing. it. See, we, we got a lot in common. We man. got a lot. Oh yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Wow. So, um, and I, I just want to shout out Doug wing, the great Doug wing from little giant ladder company. My best friend in the world is watching from arizona actually phoenix all right go arizona yeah. arizona Doc sun devil <laughs> <laughs> he's in he's in chandler but uh oh, Dr. is on yeah some great great people on here watching with us so um so so chris you how old were you when that shift occurred when your father you said your father died yeah i was um, uh i was about 30 years yeah i was about 30 30 31 years old at that time when i went through this transformation now thank god uh -huh. knock on wood i had not been married yet or had kids because i had two failed relationships prior to that so but this was a blessing because when i eventually got married and had my son and it was like I wasn't going to repeat those same patterns that that my father repeated from his childhood with my brother and I, that I would not I would break the cycle with with my son moving forward. 
Yeah. Which is an incredible. That's so awesome, man. Um, and I'm a recovering codependent as well. So <laughs> I, I can, dude, I can relate to so much of what you're saying. So uh, people pleasing sucks because eventually oh, you, yeah. that you can't please anybody. Like just forget this. Do your best and and let God handle the results. You got it. I call it trusting the process. It's, yep. There's five things you can control each and every day. That's the communication to yourself and others yep. in an interdependent, assertive way, rather than a passive aggressive or passive aggressive way, which is codependent. You can control your behavior. Number two, same thing: passive aggressive or both or assertive. Your attitude. Your emotions happening for you, not to you, and then your course of action. You can't control those same five things in other people. But as people, we get caught up in the control we can't control. We get caught up in those five things in other people and things like inflation, the economy, the the weather, you know, things that universally we can't control. But if I I've learned to shift my way of thinking for a long time now from away from the, the expectation to the outcome. That's where fear resides, past and future thinking. Bring it into the moment. What can I control right now and let the results be a byproduct of the process? I let the things that I can't control do its part, and, and I just focus on what I can control. And I trust that the results will be a byproduct of that. That's my buddy over in Avon. Where are you again? I, I'm in the Danbury area, so I know Danbury. Avon very, very well. I used to have a, a, a client of mine that was in uh, – uh, Simsbury, you know, but I know Avon very, very well. Yeah. James is a good dude. I need to connect you guys. So, sure. so, um, at 31 ish, 30, 31, you have this major, what's interesting. And, and I'm sure because you know, Jack Canfield and Mark Victor Hansen and all these guys and right behind me is Jack Canfield's book. You can't see it. Um, but it's the success principles that he wrote with Janet, Janet Switzer. And, and, um, the very, I talk about this all the time. The very first principle in that book out of 67 principles, I believe the very first one is take 100% responsibility for every single thing in your life. Right. And it's like, if, if, if you get that, that one thing, you no longer play, you decide, right? Don't be a victim ever again. Like I'm going to take responsibility. Life becomes different. Yes, it does. Like I see, you begin to shift your thinking away. You see things happening for you, yeah. not to you. It's like when you're going through a difficult time personally or in business and you're, you're grasping on to things you can't control. You're, you're, you know, you you feel this stress, this anxiety, you feel overwhelmed, you feel angry, you lash out at people, whatever that may be. And then all of a sudden it kind of works out. You're like, oh, well, great. Things are great. Six months later, same something similar happens and you're right back doing the same thing again. We didn't learn. Things always work. We just got to look at it. It's happening for us, not to us, because we can't grow or expand or enhance something unless we go through a challenge or an obstacle. It doesn't happen when everything's going great. And so I welcome challenges. I embrace them just like an Olympian athlete does that that's striving to win a gold medal or whatever that whatever is important to someone. I see it as part of the process to grow and expand and achieve uh, rather than the other way around. 
I totally agree, man. I love that. So, so at 30 years old ish, <laughs> ish, um, you, you have this shift. What, what were you doing professionally then at that time? Well, professionally at that time, I was in between, I was still working for somebody in the, you know, the corporate space in sales in media, but it was shortly after I got sober, you know, like we're literally not talking about alcohol, drink, sex, but even sober here. Cause again, you yeah. can be refrained from all those things, but still not be sober here. I know a lot of people are not sober here. So I began to work on that. And as, as I was resetting my success foundation, thinking in a different way is when I decided to go into my own business. So I began to, instead of work for somebody, I was doing something similar, but here on the outside, meaning that right. was representing companies. So I represented companies in the in form of media where I would bring advertisers to them. Uh, I, I started to spend more time at this time, more in the aviation segment. So that also migrated into me in brokering aircraft for a few, uh, about five years where I was, uh, you know, converting older 737s into freighters, uh, wow. selling them to third world countries. So very profitable business, but highly unregulated, a lot of risk, a lot of stress. But the, the turning point for me was at the time when my son was born, uh, at first when he was turning five, I decided that I didn't want to, I didn't desire to be in that profession. Uh, so I moved away, got into executive coaching. I've been a professional speaker for 20 years. So I've been speaking for a long time at industry events around the world. So I allowed myself to use my connections there to get into coaching. My, I come from a family of teachers. So, th so that was natural for me. And it took me a couple of years just to start get things moving along to, and you know, that was uh, over 10 years ago and here we are. And I love what I do. I, I, I look forward to helping people and helping businesses, in this case, helping them to help themselves. I'm not doing it for them. They're doing it for themselves. I'm just a mentor, a guide, a, a facilitator, uh, somebody who shares and allows them to, to decide what they're going to do with it. Do you know this legend right here that I just popped up on? The oh, screen? man, Ben is the best. Oh, God. I, I love, love ben. that guy, man. Love ben that is dude. the best. He is. So, so. So you got into the executive coaching and speaking world um, around 30 something, right? Yeah. And I, I had yeah. started speaking around that time, a little bit that, during that time, you know, I'd been in Toastmasters from before that at the time, that's where I learned uh, to eliminate my ahs and ums. So you, when you hear me speak, you'll rarely, you'll never hear an ah, a, like an ah or an um. So from that, I been, I started speaking in the aviation segment, and then eventually that migrated into other industries. So today, I speak at industry events all all over. Matter of fact, I'll be next week. I'm going to Paris. I'll be speaking at a passenger terminal expo to airport managers or management. In this wow. Case, so. What do you speak on to airport? Well, my areas of expertise are around, uh, you know, influence, branding, uh, that type of thing, but also, you know, leadership, communications, workplace wow. culture, conflict resolution, change management. So diversity, equity, inclusion. So I speak on a lot of different area topics in that area. Wow. To, uh, who even, I, I didn't even know that industry existed. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. So I get hired by a lot of these industries to speak in these general topic areas. So again, 
I'm not in like if a chemical association wants me to speak to the chemical industry, I'm not a chemical engineer. I can't speak that lingo, but I can speak on things that they can enhance how they communicate better. How can they lead better? How can they manage their time better in terms to be more efficient with projects? I can speak on all of that stuff. Wow. So these are the things that I concentrate on. And then from there, people hire me to coach their companies or individuals hire me for their own personal stuff or business stuff, transitions, mergers. So I get involved in the executive coaching end of that individually and with uh, with their organizations as well. Wow. That's impressive. So so when when um, when you step back and you look at people. You know, I, I said, I said to Brian Tracy when he was on the show, I said, you know, cause he's amazing as you know, and, and he's talking about the affirmations and the, you know, changing your mindset and, and, and all of that. And I said, you know, uh, there's, there's a lot of people that are going to hear what you ha- have to say here. They are in total agreement with what you're saying. They know they need to do these affirmations. They know they need to read the books and all of that. Um, but they don't, they, the, the, uh, the biggest percentage of people do not take that action. Yeah. And I said, how do you get people to change? And he said, you can't change people. And I, I do agree with that, but what, yeah, you what can only you- lead by example and be a resource. And it, it, it's a process. You, you got to develop a success foundation. It's how you think first to be, then to be, to become, become, to do, to do to have very similar principles that Jen, Jim, great, late, great Jim Rohn had taught for many years. Yeah. And so how you think is going to impact how you communicate to yourself, to other people, how you behave, how, your attitude, your emotions. So when you can learn to control what you can let go of what you can't, all these things raise your level of confidence. When you raise your level of confidence, it attracts better situations. You are able to have more clarity to solve problems, create solutions. You are you build better rapport with people and to, to close more business. You make better decisions. You you can take calculated risks and not play it safe and then follow through with massive action. So all of these things are just a byproduct of that. You know, and I, I always say the foundation to success is how you think from mental toughness, growth mindset, and how you operate from your core values. How do you connect with people on shared values subconsciously? And then, and then what, what is compelling to them so that they feel related to and understood that's what builds solid relationships. So those are the things I commit myself to improving every day. And then how I show up in my, not only my role as a business executive coach, but also as a, a husband, a, a father, a member of my community uh, and my neighbor, being a neighbor, you, I apply that in every role and duties that I have in those roles. You know, I, I, um, I go back to, I I was 34 years old when I, when I got sober and I, I I oftentimes say I couldn't find my ass with both hands and a flashlight. And I, you know, I heard somebody say the word sober is an acronym for son of a bitch. Everything's real. (laughs) In the beginning, it it definitely is because when you're not refraining from the, 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 the crutch, you still are dealing, this is not sober. So you're yeah. dealing with that, you know, all the, the anger and the, the emotions you you act out on, or that's what you're dealing with at the time. Oh, yeah. 
you know when so so go back to when you first had this shift and and you're like you know because people look at 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 people like you um like i used to look at people in in the recovery program i was in i'd see them and i'd be like he drove to this meeting in a bentley and he drove to this meeting in a porsche and i'm you know 30 days sober i should have a bentley and a porsche and you know i wanted everything right now and and I, I, I think, and you, you've talked a lot about the process and, and I, yes. I love that because it is a journey. There is a process. Talk a little bit about that, about how to not give up when, when crap's going wrong, when it's all Absolutely. going wrong. Here's the thing, whatever you, there, whatever you choose in life, there's going to be a consequence. So so the key is, is, you know, getting real with what are, what, what do you enjoy to do? What is your purpose? What are you ready, ready, ready to commit to? Nothing. You will never achieve success if you're doing things once in a while. It's got to be a commitment to the process that you do daily, consistently, and if using discipline, not if you're seeking motivation from the outside, good luck. That's not mm. going to help. It, people can inspire you. Tony Robbins can inspire you. Anybody. You know, Les Brown, all those guys can inspire you, but the only one who can motivate you is yourself from within, and that comes through discipline. Because if you're seeking the, the motivation even from within, it'll fail you if you don't have a, a, a foundation set. It's the discipline. You do it regardless. And the thing is, is developing a, a foundation of habits that you do. Like I get up every morning at 4 a.m. I'm not saying you got to get up at 4 a.m., but I get up at 4 a.m. I've been doing that for 23 years. I meditate. 20 minutes. I journal. I make my bed. I work out four days a week resistance training and do cardio three. And I do planks every day. I, I take a cold shower. I then read a chapter or two out of a book daily. And then I review my daily goals. I do that every day, seven days a week, 365 days a year. I've been doing it for 23 plus years. When you do anything like that every day, it starts to change the way you think. And then when you think yeah. differently, you be, you, be, you, be, you be different. Then you become it. Then you do things differently. So you start to see things happening for you rather than to you. So when you go through obstacles and challenges, those are blessings because that's the only way you're going to grow. You're not going to grow when everything is going great because what's going to happen is the human being becomes complacent. We just begin to say, well, everything's fine. I can just hang out and go on cruise control. That's not how life works. Life is constantly changing with or without you. So if you're not adapting and changing, using the obstacles and challenges as a learning uh, process, you're going to become stagnant. It's the only way that we can grow. It's just how we look at it. And, and that success foundation through those core habits and disciplines will change the quality of your life. I know it got, not only did it help me to get sober, not only from all the stuff I talked about, but from here, how I think that's where I really had to address. I had to get to the root cause of my limiting beliefs. And that was my need for validation that I did because I didn't get it from my father. And I was always seeking it out in other people. When I resolved that and began to operate in with this foundation, the success foundation and, and, and operated from my core values and how I related to other people, that changed everything over time. So even when I went through those setbacks and challenges, I can look back and say, God, thank God, because I wouldn't be where I'm at today 
or achieved this had I not gone through that. Amen. Amen. Steve Rizzo. Do you know Steve? I do not know Steve. Steve is a, he had a Showtime special. He's a Hall of Fame speaker. Good buddy of mine. And he awesome. says it right there. Your thoughts create your beliefs and your beliefs write the story of your life. It, so, you know, so true. It is, it is, man. And I, I think that, um, you know, I, I've, I look back and, and I think so many things and, and I, I'm, I'm curious about you in this aspect as well. So many things went wrong and I did not like it at all. Like I didn't, you know, you're saying, well, I embrace the dude. I didn't embrace it. I was angry. I was like, why is this not working out the way I wanted to no, that, That's what I, how I reacted. I, I, I had so much anger. That's me. That was me 30, 24 years ago. <laughs> right. Right. Well, I'm talking, you know, 10 years ago, <laughs> I'm like, I'm 10 years sober and I'm like, this is bull crap. Why is this not working? You know, but, but, you know, I think that, that, and, and I don't think I'm unique in the sense that, that I want what I want and I want it now. And I want it to work out exactly the way I had it planned in my mind. And, you know, for the people who are, it's not going the way they want it to go. And, and, and they, they, they can't figure out how to manipulate it or change it. Or what do you say to them? Like, how do you, do you, do you tell them to step back, take a pause? What do you, what do you, how do you guide them? This is where having a gratitude list is very, very important. When you have a gratitude Boom. list every night, you, you always can find something that you're grateful for, no matter what you're, because this will change your mind away from what's not working. So the thing is, just again, know that this is happening for you. This can mean that you're you're being, you have to learn something to see it in a different way. So when, when you begin to master that, then you're not going to experience it the way you've been experiencing it because you've been you've been allowing yourself. It's it's simply again we have to learn to uh, disengage from the things we can't control. You can't control what someone's going to perceive what you said, other than you can paraphrase it, but they're going to perceive what they're going to perceive. You can't control if somebody's going to follow through and call you back or meet you at a certain place. Yeah, can't do that. You can only control what you can do. So we have to. Learn to focus only on what we can control and trust what we cannot will do its part and work it itself out to lead to the results you see. It's not that you lose sight of what you're striving to accomplish. It's just that too many people are caught up in the expectation to the outcome. So they're in the future. They're attached to it. So this is where when things don't work out, the anger and the negative emotions will then be the the, the reaction to it. And you get caught up in that. And then you start seeing all oh, things are not going well. I'm a failure. This isn't working. Nothing ever works out. And then we we just begin to add more to it and self-sabotage it even further instead of letting go of what we can't and just trusting what we can and focus on that and just find what is working, what, what you have gratitude for, that in time, this thing will work out and you'll be able to see that you're glad that it happened that way and not the other way around. That's so awesome, man. I, in your opinion, okay, so I, I, I got to think about how to phrase this question. So, so 
what do you think holds people back? This is two things holds people back from number one, find real financial success in life. And number two, real freedom and happiness. And I do listen, I think they're related. I've been homeless and oh, broke, yeah. and I've been wealthy and, and, and not homeless. And I can tell you homeless and broke sucks. <laughs> so well, homeless and broke sucks, but there are people that are very, have lots of money and they're, and they're spiritually and emotionally bankrupt. Amen. I agree. So it's a way of thinking. So, so again, it, it, it that everything everything starts with here how we think your somebody says your thoughts are everything yes i mean you can see some people that have nothing and then but they see things in a different way and then eventually they can you know they can get out of that situation if they choose to do so so the thing is you you got to you got to think in a different way to be to become to do and you got to take action when people ask me how do you get all these speaking opportunities you must People must be just going to your speaker hub page and choosing you. I'm like, no, I'm lucky if I get two or three inquiries a year on speaker hub. I said, right. then, then how are you getting those speakers? Do people just find you on LinkedIn? I said, well, I have a, a big following on LinkedIn, but not that's not it either. It's because I send out 25 speaker abstracts every week. Mm. I go, I'm proactive. I put it out there. Doesn't mean I'm always going to get them all. As a matter of fact, I, I still to this day get rejected by a lot, even though I've been doing this for a long time. I just put it out there and then things come back. I give without expectation, let it go, and receive without resistance when it comes. If I if it serves me to help me and help others, I receive it. So, but most people will I'll say, how many speaker abstracts have you sent out? None. Well, there you go. There's your results. It's yeah. it, it, they people are just not making the effort like they think they are. That's the thing, and it, it, it and it starts with thinking. They're not thinking first. They're caught up in the the do. They're caught up in the tactics. Hey, that's a new tactic. That's a new funnel. Oh, I can use that funnel. I'll get tons of sales. But they're caught up in the do do do. But they haven't taken the time to cultivate the foundation of how they think to be, to become. So now they can take the new do and the new tactic and apply it in a way they never did before from the way they think. That's where your results are going to be different. That's my opinion and why a lot of people, you know, don't end up getting to where they desire to be. And they're, and, and they're not consistent with their, with their habits and their disciplines. It's just, you know, it's fly by night kind of thing. Just, you know, kind of shooting from the hip. Yeah, I see it a lot with a lot of a lot of people I've worked with, and then yeah. they change that over time. And and it's it's a um, I, I think it's a trap that that people yeah. fall into. They don't even realize it, right? Yes, like denial is don't even notice I am lying. You know, <laughs> I I, lo I love acronyms, <laughs> but 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 you know, I I think that. How does a person, you know, first off, if they wanted to reach out to you, what you have a website? I'm going to pop that up on the it's, yeah, um, ChristopherSalem.com. Yeah, yeah. So, um, if somebody wanted to hang on, let me type that in here. If they wanted to reach out to you, and I, that's another thing is I think a lot of people, you know, meet somebody like you, hear somebody like you. 
and they go, man, I, I'd really like to talk to that guy, but I probably can't afford him or he's, he's too expensive or I, I, is he really going to be able to help me? I mean, I know I'm standing in my own way. What's this guy going to do for me? And you know, all of the stuff, we all go through that. I've been through yes. it. You've been through it. Like, you know, so what do you say um, to somebody like that? Well, I would say, again, these are just things that we've been conditioned. Again, you know, price and, and time are always going to be the, op, you know, the objection that most yeah. people are going to give. It's because they don't, they're not either sure of themselves at that point. They're not really maybe even maybe sure of you at that point. Because again, people buy into some something or someone when they feel related to and understood. When you built that level of, level of rapport where you've connected on a shared value or values, you're they're you're they're opening up to what's really important to them because sometimes like you think they may think what's important to them but that's not really what's important to them but if you get to what's really important to them all of a sudden the price and the time kind of oh that, that's not some not, not interfering anymore i don't i, I know it's still expect might be expensive but i'll find a way to do it because i know now what's important and i believe you know you can help me do that they're the ones that are making the decision. See, when I spent 20-something years in sales, I was great at persuading people or convincing people. Yeah. I got to the point where I hated doing that because I, that was not me. I rather empower people to draw their own conclusion because when they make a decision to work with me or use a product or service that I was offering at that time, they were going to do their part to have a better experience. And when they did, they're more likely to either stick, stick around or when it ran its course, they're going to refer me. Whereas if I persuaded someone, they might have one foot in, one foot out. Yeah. And then if something didn't go right, you know, because they didn't do their part, they'd be out. So I'm, a, I'm all about empowering people, engaging people, asking, you know, thought provoking questions to get to what's really important to them. Building that rapport through connecting on a shared value or values, determining the rules, how they like to be communicated to. And once you've gotten to that report, asking for, you know, if they're open for a recommendation, that's what I've done in my business. I'm, I'm not here to, I don't chase people. I'm not using funnels and I'm not using gimmicks or, you know, special offers. It's connecting with people, meeting where, where they're at, getting to what's really important to them. And then they're deciding whether they're going to work with you or not. And then when that's the case, I present what they're trying to accomplish and I customize uh, a rate that is around what it's going to take to make that happen. So I don't have listed prices. Oh yeah. It's going to take six weeks to do this. And it's going to cost. I don't, everything is custom to, to people. Yeah. That's how I approach, uh, you know, from a business perspective. That's awesome, dude. I love that. So, so, <clears throat> you know, there's this thing Tony Robbins talks about with um, when people are like, I've tried everything. And, and he's like, really everything, you know, but I want to, I want to ask you, you know, for the person that may be listening or watching right now, or, um, maybe on the replay, um, that they feel like they've tried everything. Um, they're hanging on to light and I'm saying I'm a lot and I'm very conscious of it now. Thanks to you. But they're, 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 they feel like they've tried everything. They're hanging on to life by a thread. They, you know, the, the suicide rates skyrocketed over the last couple of years with COVID and everything else, you know, for the, 
someone watching that's barely hanging on, what do you say to them to help? Because you know it's going to, you and I, we both know it's going to change. It will get better eventually. But in the moment, people don't feel that. So what do you say to help them get through this moment to the next? I would just say at this point, and it's, it's easier said than done, but you have to let go. You have to let go. And I know it's hard to do for people because they feel like the more that they hang on, they'll will it to be something different. The reality is that's not what's going to move things along. Things move along when you let go of the control you can't control. And that took me a long time to figure out. Again, I was a perfectionist. Nobody could do it better than than me. So I, I I couldn't rely upon other people. So I would try to will everything. And I realized how why I was angry every day, why I was frustrated, why I was drained. So I, now today I use resources. I, I leverage other people where that's a strength and it, it benefits them and then it benefits me. And so, so the thing is that power here is to let go. And I know in that moment, it's hard to comprehend that, but it's the only way. If you don't let go, you're just going to prolong the agony and the, and the, and the anger and the fear. And, and it's just trying, you got it. It's it, like, I, when you hear it, trusting the process, whatever that means to you, it could be God, it could be Jesus, it could be Buddha, whatever you want to call it. I call it the universe. I call it energy. Just trust it. If, if, the, if what you can't control is going to do its part to start moving things forward for you, you got to do your part. So focus on what you can start doing to nurture yourself because by doing that, it's not only going to help you to get out of that situation and see the blessing of what you went through, but you're going to be an example and be a resource and an interdependent versus a codependent way to help another human being through your example and resourcefulness and pass that along. That right there is, you know, to me is what helped me get out of my own way, well, you know, several years ago. And I gotta, I gotta practice every day because I'm human. I could, I could go right back into that if I got became complacent over time. I have to. That's why I have a success routine that I do every day. So I, it reminds me to be in the moment, so I don't lose focus of that. That is so awesome. So, <clears throat> like Colleen says, just surrender. There's, yes. there's a. I don't know if you've heard that story about the guy that falls over the cliff and he grabs a hold of a, a branch on the way down and he looks up. Have you heard that? Or he's yes. like, God, please, please help me. And, and the clouds part and God says, let go. And he's like, is there <laughs> anyone else up there? Because <laughs> like, you know, we, we don't want to hear that. Well, here's the thing. Here's another, another thing I should point out. And, and, and I, I, one of the things I cover in a lot of my talks is the eight pillars of wellness. There's eight, there's social, Wellness, either codependent, independent, interdependent with yourself and other people. Emotional wellness, physical wellness, spiritual, financial, occupational, intellectual, environmental. Spiritual wellness is the belief, most people will say is the belief in your higher power. But here's what people are missing. It's the belief in yourself and your higher power. Because most people believe in their higher power and they go to church every Sunday, they pray every day, but they don't believe in themselves. They don't do anything to raise the level of belief in themselves. They they keep praying that something greater than them is going to fix everything for them. That's not how it works. That's, and if you look at it from a scientific standpoint with energy, it's a two-way street. You have to get, do something for something to do what it has to do to move things forward. 
That's what I would say that again, people are not, they, they're not taking the time to work on believing in themselves. And again, you take, this is from a person who did not believe in himself at all many years ago. And if I can do it, you can do it. And we're no different. We're all human beings. We all believe red. We all have had our trials and tribulations. It's just a choice of where you are, where do you desire to be? Are you willing to surrender? And you're willing to commit to a process, your process, that's going to move you along. So for the person who's right now at the, they feel like they're at the lowest point in their entire life. What's the first step for them? Where do they start? I would say the first thing is to say, again, you, you just gotta, I mean, I know it's easier said than done. You got, you have to surrender as Colleen said before, you have to just surrender, just let go. You're in the moment when you surrender, you're now like without even knowing this, you're now for that, even for that, even 30, 10 seconds, you are in the moment. And all of a sudden in that moment, no matter what is happening or happened to you, there's peace. It's like, whoa, this stuff is still happening, but I feel like peace, even if it's temporary. As soon as you go back into the past and the future, you're back in fear again. Surrendering mm -hmm. is the first step to get out of the, you know, to start working towards getting out of the problem and into the solution and begin to start thinking in a different way, focusing again on the five things you can control every day, your communication to yourself and others. Yes, Colleen, the process. Craig, I love Craig. I want Do to you let know go Craig? <laughs> I know Craig. Yeah. I, Craig's my brother. I'm speaking yeah, at Craig's yeah. event in July. Oh yeah, out in LA. Yep, yep. And uh, he's with, in with, Dallas uh, now. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, is it Dallas? Yeah. Okay, I, yeah. I, haven't, I haven't talked to Craig in a few years. Yeah. But uh, but with that being said, that that it's it's surrender and and you got to do your part. It's just like getting back. You got you have to do your part, and it's not once in a while. You got to do your part every day. Let go of the of things that are beyond your control. And then in time, it, it, you begin to learn. Maybe if some way doesn't work within your control, you learn another way. You know, just like what Craig, Craig's saying, I want to lose my belly. Well, maybe you're doing something that from your part, that's not allowing that to happen. Now you, you might try something else, but eventually by doing your part and letting what you can't control do its part, you'll find something and it's going to move you forward. Hey, Tom. Yeah. Unbelievable. So much wisdom. Okay. So have you written any books? Yes. I've wrote a book called Master Your Inner Critic. Resolve the Root Cause, Create Prosperity came out in October of 2016. It's an international best-selling book. And wow. I did contribute uh, 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 some content to the last edition of Jack's book, Canfield, uh, the latest edition of Mastering the Art of Success, wow. which came out in 2017, I believe. I can't remember now. But yeah. That, that that's a book. I'm not, I'm not a big writer. I'm not, that's not a strength of mine. A lot of my content is shared through speaking radio shows. Like, you know, your show, Ken, I have two of my own shows called sustainable success on the voice American influencers channel. And I have uh, business influencers on tell radio, uh, part of the touch of touch of life foundation. Well, you definitely have the radio voice down. Like <laughs> you've got that. It's, it's great. Chris, I can't thank you enough for coming on and sharing. Is, are, 
are are there any last final words or nuggets yeah. that, that you'd like to leave with with the audience before we end this? Yeah, I'm going to leave everybody with a statement. And this statement is something that write it down and put it in your mirror and look at it every day. Let it become part of you. Let it be to become to do every day. Give without expectation. That's to yourself and other people. Now, when I say give without expectation first, that's the first part of the statement. You're doing it from a place of empathy and kindness. That is an interdependent trait. You're doing it from a place of being the example and being a resource to yourself and other people. You're not doing it from a place of pleasing and enabling others. That's codependent. Give without expectation. Receive without resistance. So when it comes back from somewhere else, as long as it serves you to move you forward, and perhaps maybe others through your example and resourcefulness, you receive it. There are many people that give freely. They might deal with it from a place of pleasing and enabling, but they are not good receivers. Oh, you don't have to, you don't owe me that. That's fine. We're good. You're not only denying yourself prosperity, you're denying the person that's willing to give to you because you're breaking that, that principle and maybe people around you. So give without expectation, receive without resistance. I've applied that in my life for the last almost 15, 16 years, and it has changed the outlook of my business, my life, my marriage. And, and it keeps me in an interdependent state rather than the codependent state and of how I think. It is powerful, but you got to believe in it. You can't just say it. You got to do it and believe in it and apply it. And I've seen people who've put it to the test and they've seen changes and they've got came back to me and said, oh my God, I can't believe you were, you're right. And, and uh -huh. I said, well, it's not that I'm right. It's just, I'm just sharing what, what, what has happened. You, you know, you decide if it's right or not, but I could just from my experience that that statement will has changed my life. My, my, um, <clears throat> my wife is on here and she said that we both say a lot of the same things. I, I'm sitting here thinking, man, I can't believe that I finally found my long lost, much older brother. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I'm kidding. No, this is great, man. This was, this was great. I, I, I definitely align with, with everything that you've talked about today. So Chris, thank you so much. I appreciate uh, you being on. And Ken, thank you for having me. I mean, you 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 have a great show and great energy here, and you, I, I think you're you're helping so many people through your channel here, helping so many people. Thank you, man. Thank you. And I want everybody watching. Number one, especially Craig Buzzwalt, share this out, Craig. <laughs> so share this out and make sure that you're following Chris on all social media platforms. Is that, are all of them linked from your website? Yeah, they're, yeah, they're all there on the front page. Uh, LinkedIn is probably where I spend more time, but you know, you can connect me on Facebook. I'm maxed out on Facebook, but you can go to my, my professional page. Follow me there as well. Christopher Salem. Okay. One is Christopher yeah. Salem is my professional page on Facebook. Chris Salem is my personal page. I'm maxed out there, but you uh, feel free and wherever you'd like to connect. I love connecting with people. So awesome. whatever's comfortable for you. So awesome. Thank you so much once again. And thank you to everybody that's been here and shared this out and your comments and everything. So thank you, Chris, hang tight with me. If you would, I'm going to wrap this up. Thank sure. you to everybody. Have a great day and we will see you all later. Thanks, Chris.
Thank you so much, Ken.